the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, I'll read verses 1 through 7, Revelation chapter 2 beginning in verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen And repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. may be seated. Beloved, tonight we're continuing our theme of love in the body of Christ. We're going to continue this theme for a little while longer here on Sunday nights. And though tonight's message is going to focus ultimately on the issue of love, it will be a very sobering message. It is a message that if you looked in the bulletin I referred to, and I borrowed it from a title of a book, called Love or Die. Or really it could be called Love or Be Left Behind. Now what we just read a moment ago is the first of seven little epistles that John includes in this massive writing called the book of Revelation. I call it seven little epistles because it is addressed to seven churches. And what's interesting for us to note as we look at this is that in each epistle, though it is addressed to a specific local church, I want you to notice something that we read a moment ago in verse 7, where he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's plural. And you will find that at the conclusion of each of these seven epistles. If you looked over in verse 11, you would see the same thing. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Every letter is yes addressed to that particular local church at that time in history. But by the Lord God having John include that statement... He's letting us know that what Jesus had to say to each of those seven churches, what the Holy Spirit had to say to each of those seven local churches, he had to say to all the churches of all times until the Lord Jesus Christ returns for the church. Until he comes. That will actually be a theme throughout these seven epistles. So that means, beloved, this message that was given directly to the church at Ephesus also is for us today. 
And as you read through all of these seven letters, another thing that you will find is that Jesus is the one speaking. He's the one addressing each of those local churches. Thus, what we'll be considering tonight is what Jesus has to say about the church. What he thinks about the church. And ultimately, beloved, in the end, it really doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what we think together. What ultimately matters is, what does Jesus think? What does he see? And I imagine that when this letter was circulated and when it got to the church at Ephesus and they gathered together as a church body and they began to read this letter, in some ways they were probably shocked at what Jesus had to say. But it's a very important lesson, a lesson I want us to look at and to consider tonight, especially as it regards to love in the church. So it's Jesus who's going to be speaking here. And if you go back to verse 1, the first thing that he shares with the church at Ephesus is his position in their church. He just wants to remind them once again of his position in their church. When it says there in verse 1, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's referring to Christ as he was revealed earlier in chapter 1. To say that he holds the seven stars in his right hand speaks of his authority. Of his authority over the leadership. The leadership are the stars there that are representing each of those local churches. And to say that he has them in his right hand is to say that he had the authority and the sovereignty over each of those churches. Beloved, this is important to always remember. To always recognize, because again, this is his church. Jesus then tells us what to do. He tells us what not to do. And he tells us what to do through his word. And he has the authority to do that, because Jesus, as the word of God teaches us, is the great shepherd. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the foundation of the church. Jesus is the one who bought the church with his precious blood on that cross. Jesus is the one who is the architect of the church because he is the one who said, I will build my church. And he is going to build it and it's going to function as he has so designed for it to be. And as he's preparing to share this with the church at Ephesus, he's reminding them once again of his position here in the church. And it's always a good reminder for us as well to be thoughtful of Jesus' position in our church. But secondly, notice something else Jesus said that is very important. He speaks to them about his presence in their church. His presence. Notice again, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. If you look for a moment back in chapter 1, Go up to verse 12 for just a moment. Where John hears a voice. And he turned to see the voice that was speaking with him. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
And notice what it says. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. It goes on to describe how he was clothed and girded, his head and his hair. He's talking about the glorified Christ. This is the one who is speaking to him. But notice he says there, he's in the middle of the lampstands, these seven golden lampstands. If you look down at verse 20, he says, as for the mystery of the seven stars, which he saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So a lampstand here, when he says... I am the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus is saying, my presence is there in every single local church. Anywhere where there's a body of believers gathered together in my name, I am there, I am in their presence. He's not just in the middle that we see there in chapter 1. Now it says he walks among the seven golden lampstands. He moves about. He knows everything. And that moves to my third point that I want us to quickly get to in verse 2 where he says, I know. This is his perspective, his perception of the church. Oh, of course he knows. He's God. He's everywhere. He's in the middle of everything they're doing. He sees everything that they do. He hears everything that they say. He knows of every meeting, every decision, every discussion, every activity. But it's beyond that. When you read through the whole section, what Jesus is wanting them to know, when he says, I know, that word there for know speaks about complete knowledge. He's saying, look, I have complete knowledge of this church. I know the ins and outs of this church. And when he says, I know, obviously he knows their actions. He knows their deeds. But he's saying also, I know their attitudes. I know what's going on on the inside of them. I know what's motivating them. And we're going to find out that ultimately was the problem that they were having. It wasn't that they didn't have some wonderful good deeds. But there were some things that that was missing on the inside that they needed. So beloved, when you think about our church, think about Jesus' position in our church. Think about his presence in our church. Think about his perception, his knowledge, his perspective about who we are. So let's look and see what he had to say here in verse 2. I call it his praises for the church. Jesus is praising the church here in verse 2, the church at Ephesus. Again, this is important to recognize because Jesus is the one that we ultimately want to be recognized by. He says, I know your deeds and your toll and perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate evil men. I know you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Then down at verse 6 he says, yet this you do have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. But you're hating the things that I'm hating. You're intolerant of the things that I'm intolerant of. And he's praising them for that. 
When you boil it down, he really is praising them for two things here. He's praising them for their labor, and he's praising them for their long-suffering. And in particularly in the area of the gospel and of gospel purity and of the, of, of the message of the gospel going forward, that they had worked hard knowing that there were false apostles out there as the Apostle Paul had to remind the church at Corinth about. Remember, he, he, he was brokenhearted about the church at Corinth because they were tolerating some men that were standing up and who were saying they were apostles and they were preaching a different Jesus. And they were listening to this. They were open to this. This was breaking his heart about this. Not the church at Ephesus. They were very diligent. When it speaks about their toil and their perseverance and not growing weary, this was a church that was long-suffering in their cause for the gospel. And it says there, for my name's sake, I should remind you when Jesus was speaking about end times and saying that people are going to hate you for my name's sake. And here Jesus is complimenting them. He's commending them for this. And beloved, what I want to help you to see about that is again, this is what pleases Jesus in regards to the church. That they are laborous in regards to the gospel. Laborous in proclaiming the gospel. Laborous in getting the gospel out. And laborous in long-suffering and being precise. Precise in the gospel. So that if someone is preaching that you're saved by faith plus something else, faith plus baptism, faith plus the sacraments, Jesus is not the only way. There's multiple ways. Beloved, the church at Ephesus would have stood up to that and said, that is not true. That's not the gospel. And Jesus would have commended them for that. And what I want you to think about as we're preparing to move into the this idea of love is that when Jesus is going to get on to them about not having love, he doesn't mean then that they need to relax their standards in regards to the gospel. That's not what he's calling for. He, he is encouraging them. He's commending them here for their work and what it is that they have done. So he's praising them. And beloved, we want to be praised in the same way from our Lord. Let's look at the next part our Lord gives to them. He now is going to identify his problem with this church. He, has, he does have a problem with this church. Verse 4. I have this against you. But with that right there, no doubt to me, if I was a, a member sitting in the church at Ephesus and they get this from, sent to them from John, 
And one of their leaders stands up and he's reading it. And they're reading through chapter 1. And oh, they're seeing the glorified Christ. And the, boy, you can just see excitement probably building in their heart. And they're hearing from Jesus saying, I know your deeds and your toll and your perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. And you just see them building up in there. And amen and amen. And then the leader has to say, but I have this against you. I hold something against you here. What? You have left your first love. You see, a key component in all their labor and in all their long suffering that was dwindling was their love. As time went by from one generation to the next, they were gradually losing their love, their love for Christ, their love for each other, their love for the lost. They they were losing that love. And brother, one must be careful not to fall in love with the doctrine instead of falling in love with the Savior for whom the doctrine is about. Not to fall in love with the preacher, but fall in love with the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I've found just some, some guys, and this is more in the ministry, but just some guys just like to fight. And by fight, I don't mean physically fight. I mean, they just like to have verbal sparring matches. Let's just get in the ring and let's just get after it. Let's just go after one another. And there is a truth in God's word that iron should sharpen iron and we are to to engage one another in that way. But beloved, Jesus, just as I said a moment ago, for them to have love, he didn't want, he, he, he wasn't saying you had to have love at the expense of gospel purity and precision. But to have gospel purity and precision does not have to be at the expense of love. Love for Christ. Love for one another. It's kind of like I heard the story of General Patton. As he was gazing, watching a battle of his troops. And as he's watching the battle, he made this statement, Oh, how I love it. And it wasn't that he loved the freedom And it wasn't that he loved his his troops in that sense. What he was saying was, I just love the fight. I just love to watch the fight. Beloved, that's not what God is calling us to. In fact, let me just remind you of something. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1 for just a moment. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1 for just a moment. It's a simple little statement. In the verses 3 and 4, Paul is having to remind Timothy and urge him, uh, stay there in Ephesus, you need to, to straighten some things out. There's some people there teaching some strange doctrines, some things they shouldn't be teaching. But he also reminds Timothy of something there in verse 5. And this is the goal of our instruction, and it is love. The goal of our instruction is love. It's from a pure heart and a good conscience. In a sincere faith, 
But beloved, when we are wanting to engage people with the gospel, or we're wanting to just engage people with the truth of God's word, even if it's a brother or sister in Christ, our goal in that should be love. That we want to love them, and we want them to love the word of God and love the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our goal. Because if you're not careful, and you begin to lose love, then that critical spirit that is a good thing when it comes to being precise about the gospel, precise about the word of God, can become a bad thing that turns on one another. In fact, go over to the book of Ephesians for just a moment. This is written to the Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus. And look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 30, he speaks about not grieving the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How would you grieve the Holy Spirit? Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, again, tying it back to what we just read, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Notice, they were, the church at Ephesus had had some of the most wonderful teachers in all that a church could ever have. They had had Timothy. They had had the Apostle Paul. They had had Apollos. And most likely they even had the Apostle John. And you know that they had heard, even as Paul writes here, walk in love, be imitators of God, walk in love, because as he ties that back in there, that first word in verse 1, therefore, tying it back in with all the things we read there right before it, if you're not walking in love, it will begin to show itself. You will stop being kind to one another, stop being tenderhearted to one another, stop forgiving one another. Stop thinking about Christ's love and forgiveness for us. I think possibly what started to happen at the church at Ephesus as the time went by, instead of hating the sin, they started hating the sinner. Instead of hating their deeds and their actions, they started hating hating them. And then eventually they turned on, in some sense, on one another. Brother, this is a lesson not just for a church. This is a lesson even in any relationship that we have. When love leaves a relationship, it will begin to manifest itself in this way. We can love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can love other people in our lives, love other people in our families. This is what the Lord was calling them to. This was the problem that he saw. But now let's go back to Revelation 2. Because see, it's not enough to identify the problem. The, Jordan, the, the Lord needs to give the solution. And I call it his prescription for the church. His prescription. 
if you've lost something, you need to regain it. And Jesus gives the prescription for lost love in the body of Christ in verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. Remember. Start thinking. Go back in your memory. Think back to when you really had more of a love for Christ. When you really had a love for one another. When you really had a love for the lost. When you just love to tell people about Jesus. When you just love to talk to someone about Jesus. And when you just love to talk about the word of God. And to hear how things were going in people's lives. And you wanted to pray for them and care for them. And minister to them. Beloved, this is why it's important that we have the Lord's table. Because when we come to the Lord's table, we're supposed to remember what Jesus has done for us. Remembering the love of Christ for us. Addressing our sins before the Lord. So there is a remembrance that is there. And they had something to remember. I know that. Because back in in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15, when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, listen to what he said. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. He said, "I, I heard about your love. And as I shared with you in the last week or two, if there's anything we want people to hear about our church is that we love Christ and that we love one another and we love the lost and we love God's word. And this is what Paul was hearing about the church there at Ephesus. This is what he had prayed for over in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. This is what Paul was praying for them. This is what Paul had heard about them. This is what he had seen in them. That they were rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And it was showing itself in their love for Christ and their love for one another. He wanted them to comprehend it even more with all the saints. Everyone there growing in their love. This is what they needed to remember. But then Jesus says, once you remember, then you need to repent. You must repent. In that repentance, there needs to be a confession of sin and a change in your thinking, a change in your behavior. An acceptance of what Jesus has said, acknowledging guilt, grieving over that guilt of knowing it is displeasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. A genuine, true sorrow and guilt that leads to true repentance of change. That is, the church at Ephesus needed to stop what they were doing. Say it was wrong. And start doing what they knew they were supposed to be doing. And notice if you again, you go back, you remember, you repent, and then you return or resume 
the love of the good deeds. He says, do the deeds you did at first. That first there is tying it back to your first love. Do the things you, you used to do. Maybe you used to spend more time in God's Word loving the Savior. More time in prayer. Maybe you used to have more hospitality taking place in your home, meals together, cards, visiting of folks, taking care of folks, praying for people, meeting needs. And now that's kind of fallen to the wayside. Beloved, what Jesus is saying is you need to remember, repent, and return. Repeat. Start doing those things again as or out of a love for Christ. Out of a love for Christ. Now Jesus has given them the prescription. He's identified the problem. The problem is they've, they've left their first love. And notice it wasn't God who left. It was they who left. They left their first love. And Jesus has now given them the prescription for that problem. But just as it is with a doctor who gives us a prescription when we have a problem, we have to follow through and take the pill, take the medication. And sometimes we need to be prompted to do that. Because we need to be told that there are some severe consequences if we don't. And that's what Jesus does now as we read the rest of verse 5. I call it Jesus' prompter for the church. He says, or else. He says, either remember, repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else. Now that should have gotten their attention. Or else. I am coming to you. And I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, this idea of removing the lampstand. First off, as Jesus presents this here in verse 5, when he says, or else I am coming. He's letting them know that whatever this means by him removing the lampstand, that it is imminent. It's as though he's standing at the door. It could be at any time. It's soon. But not just the imminence, but the impact of what he's saying. When he says, I will remove your lampstand out of its place. Some look at that. They say, well, what Jesus is warning them about is that I will remove your testimony. I will remove that lampstand that is the light that is there and the testimony that you've had in your community. I will remove that. I will take that from you. Or some even would look at it and say, no, really, ultimately what Jesus is saying there is I will remove the church. And they point to the fact that the church at Ephesus is no more. They don't exist anymore. You would be shocked at how many churches close their doors in America every week. I think also, when you look at what Jesus is saying about his coming, I think he's warning them. 
that if, you, if they didn't respond, it was going to demonstrate ultimately that they weren't his. And that when he comes and he says, I'm going to remove your lampstand, what he's saying is, I'm going to remove those who are the true church when I come. And what will be left there will be those who are not really a part of the true church. And part of the reason why I say that, I, I mentioned to the, I don't, I don't want to get deep into all of this, but when you read through these seven epistles, I would encourage you to read through chapters two and three, and you'll see in basically every one of those epistles, he speaks about a coming. And I think the coming is referring to the same thing in each of the seven epistles. And that coming is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as he says over in chapter 2, in verse 25, he says, Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. But then he says, And he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end. You see, his coming is the end. That is because he's going to be removing the church. And he's warning this church at Ephesus, If you keep going down this trail of having a lack of love, then ultimately you're going to have a lack of my presence. A lack of people in my presence. And that may even mean in the end when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and he takes some from them. Well, Jesus is, this is him warning them. And this is out of love. Jesus loves this church. As I said, Jesus died for this church. And he's, he's warning them to repent. He's warning them to remember. He's warning them to start doing the things that they did at first. And he doesn't, clo- he doesn't close his message on a negative note. He closes it with a positive one. The last point tonight, when we look at verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Those who would have the ear, they needed to respond. They had the responsibility to respond. But he makes a promise. Here's his promise for the church. Okay, here's his promise for any believer. To him who overcomes. And the overcomer is simply a believer. It's not the super Spiritual, it's not some super believer. An overcomer is simply someone who is a believer. And he has made this promise to him who overcomes, I will grant this privilege of being able to eat the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. And if you go to the end of the book of Revelation, and you go to Revelation chapter 22 and in verse 2, where now we have a new heavens and a new earth and this wonderful place for God's saints to live and to enjoy and worship him, you see, there it is, the tree of life. And what he's saying is, is those who have the ear to really hear what I'm saying, and they heed what I'm saying, they are the overcomers, and I promise them, you will enjoy life forever with me. You will enjoy a life of, of pleasure, of worshiping me, a life without sin. This is the promise. It's the same promise for us. So, beloved, I don't think it's very difficult to recognize our response to this. 
My response needs to be, Lord, examine my heart. And where there are things I am doing and I have done that are not out of love. Father, if I preach something not out of love for the people, not out of love for you, not out of love for the word of God, not out of love for the lost, then then I'm guilty. I'm guilty of what Jesus is saying here. And the same for each of us. If that's true, then beloved, I just need to be willing to, to recognize that and repent of that and do what God has called on me to do. Jesus has promised his blessing when we do. I, I told you, I warned you, this would be a sobering message. But it is a message that we need from time to time in our life. And beloved, it is a message that anyone and everyone who needs here tonight. I would would ask some of you here tonight, have you ever even had that first love of Christ? Have you ever even have you ever even embraced Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you ever even come to to love Christ? Remember what we talked about uh, the the first Sunday I was here? That our faith in Christ, at the fundamental issue of that, is our love for Christ. It's a love for Jesus. Remember when Jesus was talking to these religious leaders and he says, if you were of my Father, you would love me. Which means you don't love me because you're not born again. You would believe me. You would love me. I plead with you tonight. Have you ever come to Christ out of love and trust in Him to save your soul, to forgive you of your sins, to reconcile you to God? That's the step you need to take tonight. Your love for Christ. But maybe for many of us, most of us here tonight, Just examine your heart before the Lord and asking, have I left my first love? Have I drifted? And repent. Just do what God says. He's a loving, forgiving Savior. And He forgives. He cleanses. He puts us back on our feet. so we can get to moving again in our loving deeds for him. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.